tradition. We'll see. But um, next week is the prophet Amos. So it's been interesting, this stretch for me, this Advent season, um, because I've never preached a sermon from Hosea. I've never preached a sermon from Joel. I know it sounds crazy. I've been a pastor for 123 years and haven't preached on those books. So uh, part of what we do for Advent really is for me. It's great for me to, to take one week and just pour myself into a book and draw from it um, what I think God would have us hear this Sunday. Uh, we get to chapter 14, and it's the close, it's the summary. And there are a couple of interesting things that happen in Hosea. If you read it this week, the first three verses are extremely personal and painful. First three chapters of Hosea, uh, it is a, uh, an awfully difficult call. Hosea is basically asked to enact the covenant love that God has for his people. Hosea is told to go marry a woman. Her name is Gomer. He's told to marry this woman, though she will give herself to prostitution. He has three children with this woman, and the children's names are weird. Jezreel has to do with uh, God going into the valley of Jezreel and, and really bringing justice on the house of Jehu. Not time to talk about that, but Jezreel was the name of his first son. The second, uh, a daughter. Her name was No Mercy. And God says, name her No Mercy because I will have no mercy on you. Doesn't sound like our God, does it? Third, another son. Uh, Isaiah, name him Not My People. Because you're not my people. And I am not your God. Uh, One year in Mississippi for men's discipleship, I went and took a verse, pretty much from every Old Testament book, and it was our memory work, and every book has somehow the opposite of that in it. I am your God, and you are my people. I wanted, I wanted our men to see that, that our God is adamant about having a people for himself, and then when you come to Hosea, that, for any Old Testament scholar, any student of the Bible, that is shocking. You will name a child. Every time you look at that son, you'll be reminded, you're not my people, and I'm not your God. And then his wife leaves him. Wife goes and abandons him with three children and goes to a life of prostitution. Hosea faces ridicule. His kids face ridicule. He is, uh, he is in the depths of despair. And God then says, go buy her back. Go buy her back, Hosea. Go find her in the street, in the brothel, and go buy her back. That's the context of this text. And I tell you, Christian, I I don't know if there's any better book in the Old Testament to prepare us for the unbelievable love that God pours out on his people. Um, uh, In uh, in, in St. Louis, we'd have the typical mission conference. I don't know if you've ever been to a mission conference. Uh, The bigger churches used to have them. I don't know if they still have mission conferences, but it was great. It was a time for us as a church 
where we tried to get as many of the foreign missionaries that we supported, we tried to get them in-house. And um, it was wonderful because they would tell stories about all that God was doing overseas. And of course, some of them were there. They were new to go out in the field. Um, and it almost became uh, something of self-righteousness for us how many missionaries we could support. It was interesting. In Tupelo, we put more money in missionary support than we did in uh, staff salaries. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if we were able to do that? But I, I never forget one of the missionaries was uh, from Uganda. And he, he, he you know, brought his family back and forth from Uganda. And he said this, and I wrote it down. It's in my Bible under Hosea. In Uganda, he says, the devil is the lion who rips open and devours. Uh, I had a pastor friend who spent an evening hiding under a bed as rebels had come in and killed people in the village that he was staying in in Uganda. And he laid on the ground all night crying out to the Lord to spare his life. In Uganda, the devil is the lion who rips open and devours. But then he went on to say this, in America, the devil is the seducer who promises heaven on earth made up of material things and pleasures. In America, the devil is the seducer who promises heaven on earth made up of material things and pleasures. What do we do when a church, our church, has been seduced by the world? In Hosea, the picture is really simple and it's quite clear. The people of God face the seduction of the world and the only remedy is a greater love. The only remedy is a better lover, a better spouse. What about those of us who have broken faith with God? What can be done? That's the great news of Hosea. And we'll see it when we get to chapter 14. Um, I'm going to run over really just quickly. Um, I, I mentioned those first three chapters uh, are, are real personal, and many commentators say the first three um, is Hosea as he is prophesying the next few chapters. Because what Hosea goes through with his wife, uh, God says, that is what I am going through with my people Israel. Hosea, what you're facing with your wife is what me, what God is facing with his people. Um, and so in chapter 4, he, he starts to list out all that the people have done wrong. Chapter 4, 4, my people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. They don't know me. Verse 10, they shall not eat and that they shall eat and not be satisfied. So God is 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 he, he turns them over for a season and says, Go, go, go find your other lovers, your other gods, your other idols. Be like all the nations around you. Go and do it. Sow your wild oats. It ain't gonna work. You're gonna be unsatisfied. You know, in Hamilton when um, that song, you'll never be satisfied, he'll never be satisfied. I mean, that's exactly what the message of Hosea is. God is saying, okay, people, you want your foreign lovers, you want, go. 
and you won't be satisfied. Chapter 11, I, I told David when we were working on the order of worship, I, I said, I, I can't decide whether it's chapter 11 or chapter 14. And David said, of course it's chapter 14. <laughs> In his gentle way. Of course it's chapter 14. But chapter 11 has this, these beautiful, so in the midst of all, he just lists countless, you know, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, this has not been enough, that's not been enough, you've done this, you've done this. And in chapter 11, he says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And for where we stand in redemptive history, that, that triggers something, doesn't it? Out of Egypt, I've called my son. Uh, Egypt representing the power of the world, uh, the hubris of mankind. And, and Hosea saying, you will not stay in Egypt. You will not live and abide in Egypt because I'm calling you back. In verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 13, he tells them, I am the Lord your God. And from the land of Egypt, you know no other God. It is me, and besides me, there is no Savior. So Hosea had a, a really, really tough ministry, really tough call. It's about the 8th century B.C. It is right before the, southern king, the northern kingdom, Israel, gets taken into captivity. Um, and then he closes with this, chapter 14. You know, Advent today was joy, and David's right. Chapter 14 is joyous. You have 13 chapters of this is who you are, and this is how you have treated me, and this is what you deserve. And chapter 14, our greatest hope, our wildest expectation of what God is, what he would do, how he would treat us, comes true. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. The serious shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated.
Christian, I wish I could tell you that at the moment of your conversion, you will never, never be tempted towards other gods. But what Hosea goes through and what the inhabitants at that point go through, it's similar to the Christian story. And often it is in this pursuit of joy. We, 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 we feel this temptation that there is something out there that God isn't giving me or following God keeps me from experiencing or having. We can find joy. We don't, we don't use the term another God, but we, we, we feel something in the place of God. Um, as that missionary to Uganda says, the evil one seduces us. Find joy and meaning and purpose in paradise through some other means, writing and living and serving and staying faithful to our Savior. So the sermon in the sentence this morning is our search for lasting joy may take us away for a time from our God, but it does not keep him from fulfilling his promises. We are in danger almost always of recreating God in our image. And thinking he is like us. Even though over and over he says, you thought I was like you. I am not a man like you. But when we have wandered, especially when we have known deep times of intimacy with our God and with our Savior, and we've made those promises with our mouth, I'll never stumble again in this area. I'll never follow that again. I'll never do this again. I'll never doubt you again. Right? And, and then a week later, we have forgotten everything. Seriously, as a preacher, there's been times I've said, Tammy, where's that verse that says this? I can't find it. Where's that verse that says this? And it's a verse I preached on two weeks earlier. <laughs> I'm like, I forget my own sermons. There are times, and I've told you this, that Tammy's like, how's the sermon going? I'm like, it's so wonderful, Tammy. I wish I believed it. I said, it's so right, it's so true. But in my core, I'm wrestling with, has this taken root? And I think every Christian will face this. Is God going to be enough? Or will we be seduced by the world around us? And you find that in every culture where the gospel goes, every missionary that comes back, the church is tempted to be like the nation around them. The prayers are to give what the nation around them says they need in order to be happy, in order to be significant, in order to be secure. But our God will not allow that to keep him from fulfilling his promises. And so you have here a contrast, really, uh, a contrast between the love relationship between God and his cheating bride. I titled it The Prodigal Bride, for it just seems to fit that pattern, doesn't it? I was loved, I had children. Uh, I, I, I had a relationship, a faithful relationship with a prophet who walked with God and I needed something more. And, and in our story, if you read it, what, what happens is, is she goes and she's like the prodigal. She is uh, miserable and uh, peddles her wares and, and miserable and returns. But in her return, make no mistake, her return isn't this sense of... Uh, I repent of all my sins. No, it's help. That's her return. Help. I, I, I can't make it like this anymore. Um, please take me back. 
Right? There's not this, I am so overwhelmed and in love with God the Father that I will, I will withstand any ridicule or rebuke or any pain. Just take me back, Father. No, it's really not that. It's, I'm coming back. And, and we see that there's kind of, a, in, in the middle section, there's this, people argue about it, but is it a repentance or is it a false repentance? When the people say, come, let's go, let's return to the Lord. Uh, for he has wounded us, but he's going to heal us. And, and there is that sense, isn't there, when we all come back to the Lord, right? It, it, I mean, it's there. I, I'm miserable following other gods. I'm miserable when I'm without the fellowship of your people. I'm miserable. Take me back. And, and, and really, that's her return. It's still intertwined with a love of self, probably a little bit more than a love of God. But really, can we see a better picture of the love of God than this? Well, we can. I mean, we'll end with the cross. Right? We'll end with Jesus. But Hosea makes a sense of what Jesus did and why. Hosea gives us this beautiful picture into the passionate, personal heart of our God. In, in chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. So I guess I'm preaching on 11 and 14. So. <laughs> chapter 11, 8 and 9. How can I give you up? This is God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? My people, how can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? You may not know those cities. There were cities with Sodom and Gomorrah, with the people in the plains. How can I do that, he says? I can't do that. My heart recoils within me. After all these people had done, after deserving the same punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plains, God just says, I can't do it. Because you're in my heart. I've called you no mercy. I've called you not my people. Because that's how you've acted. You've gone through this season and it has been horrific. And you'll go off into captivity and generations will go off into captivity. But I will remain faithful. I can't do it because my heart recoils in me, he says. My compassion grows warm and tender, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. All right, Christian, this is what he speaks to you. This is what he speaks to you. This is what He shadows over you in that moment when you think following Christ is too much. I'm giving up too much. I, I'm not enjoying this. It's not easy. In the moment when you become overwhelmed with guilt. In the moment when sin comes crashing through and you have this brief moment of clarity when you see what you love and what you've been doing and what, you, what you've been hoping in and you just see it as an affront to a holy God. When it becomes visceral like it is here. My God is a spouse to me. He doesn't just want to change my, my, um, my status. He wants me. I don't want to just, uh, these people, I'm just going to try to make them. No, his heart is torn towards us. He says, I am for you. I, I love you. You are my people. Those are my children. Um, what a beautiful thing. 
I am God and I'm not a man. Because we would expect a man, in fact, we would justify a man to get rid of his wife. We would justify a woman to get rid of her husband if that's what she acted like. And, that was she. and when she came back because she ran out of money, what would we say? Oh, beware, be careful. Test her out there for a while. She's just run out of money. She's only back because she needs you. Right? That's what we'd say. Let's be honest. Be careful. Guard yourself. She left you and those kids. Oh, now she's coming back. Now she's sorry. Have you ever thought that, that that's what God says when you come back to him? Oh, I have. I have. Well, of course you're sorry, Mark. Because look at your failures. <laughs> of course you want to come back to me because you just can't do it. And we've proved it. And he still takes us back. In fact, as the story unfolds, you realize it's actually been his gracious love. When he says you'll eat and you won't be satisfied. You'll have these lovers that you pay for and you won't be satisfied. And you know what that does? That changes in, in the mind how a Christian thinks. When there is hardship, uh, a Christian, uh, for sure we pray and ask, Lord, heal, Lord, take this away. But we also have this thing in our toolbox. Lord, are you exposing a false God, a false Savior, a false hope? Lord, are you, are you bringing something that I, can, that I can now see what you have seen in me for a long time? Um, so let's go through their return. This is kind of the, 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 the closing section of the book, and it's the summary. Um, it starts in verses 1 to 3 with an acceptable confession. Uh, remember, our God is relational. He is personal. Uh, liken him to a faithful spouse, not mechanical, not like the idols where if you did A, you got B. Uh, and so here, here is where we go. Here is what we do. Here is what becomes habitual for Christians. The first thing is we return to the Lord in verse 1. He says, you're stumbling because of your iniquity. Your sins have made your life miserable. Prodigal wife, life was so bad. Prodigal son, life was so horrible. You were living with pigs. You come to your senses. When I was with my father, when I was walking hand in hand with my Savior, wasn't life better for me? Return to the Lord. Often people get angry here. He's not giving them what they need or they want. Uh, they'll even make these bargains with God. If you give me this back, then I'll worship you. And God says, if you stop worshiping this, then you'll have me. We return to the Lord. A return to God always comes with a confession of sin. That's why it's in our worship every week. The return to God, and it's what we do every week. It's what we do every day. We are boom, boom, boom. You know what we're like? You ever been on those, uh, those old, uh, the old um, drive-it-yourself cars uh, at the theme parks, and they have this metal rail? And the kids think they're driving, but if they go too far, it hits them and brings them back. You know, ever been on one of those? I don't know if they make them anymore. Um, but that's, that's what it feels like. Like, I'm, I'm going to go here. And then, no, oh, and, got, yeah, and uh, a return to God is a confession of sin. And then he says these three things about uh, the confession of sin. He says, use words. Our God wants to hear actual words from our mouth. Use words. 
when you come to God, communicate to God, talk to God. He gave us language. He gave us the ability to communicate. He put his word written down that we might read it, we might study it, we might meditate on it. Take words, he says. Take, your, take away our iniquity and our words. That's what we say to him. Father, take it away. Father, cleanse. If you have trouble doing that, just use the Psalms to guide your prayers. Uh, secondly, Father, accept what is good. You know, there's this sense that we don't come to Him uh, and just say, just give me everything. No, we, 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 we bring to the Lord our gifts to Him. Um, don't come to the Lord empty-handed. In Exodus, uh, in 2 Samuel 24, David goes to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He's going to get a piece of land, and the guy says, I'll just give it to you. And David says, no, how much is it worth? I don't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Thirdly, we will pay the vows that our lips have uttered. Here he says, sacrifice bulls. Uh, It's not that the blood of bulls and goats satisfies, we read in Hebrews. It is that we are falling in line with God's covenant renewal and so for them it was it was sacrifice for us when we take the lord's supper it's that similar thing we will pay the vows we will do what we promise uh then he says in verse three you also have to reject your other lovers so he's got three classifications here of other lovers and so this might help you as you apply this personally when he says, uh, we won't, uh, Syria won't save us in verse 3. The Syria shall not save us. Um, we're not looking for political saviors. All right? So Israel, so afraid of being uh, taken away, their enemies were crouching, they were, they were losing uh, battle after battle. He says, don't go to Assyria. That's not who will save you. How important for us uh, with, uh, Christians as we argue on all sides of the political world right i I don't know if it's ever been that way it seems to me it's never been as bad as it is now Uh, christians find themselves disagreeing on just about everything politically uh isn't it great to know that um our savior uh will not fly on air force one uh reject other lovers assyria he says horses uh military might don't put your trust in them And then lastly, he says, your other lovers, those idols, those images, the things that you make that you can hold in your hands. You know we have them, don't we? I mean, um, it it depends on the person, of course. Some years are going to be different than others. Um, We have our idols. So when we return... We return to the Lord. We use words. We say, take away our sins. Uh, Lord, take what is good. Let me give my life a service to you. We will pay uh, what we have vowed. And Lord, um, I'm not going to go to Assyria. I'm not going to look at politics. I'm not going to look at military. I'm not going to look at things that my hands have made. And then is this line. Then is this beautiful line. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Do you believe that? How beautiful. In you, the orphan. We have no right, natural right to God's fatherhood. We have no right to spousal support. 
The greatest thing we can be is an orphan who received mercy. In those days, the orphan was the most helpless person in the world. And you, the orphan, finds mercy. A return to God. And then in verses 4 to 8, the covenant is renewed. Um, the covenant is renewed. God makes these promises to them. We're going to run through them, but just look at, the, just look at how, how it's laid out here. Uh, they have now confessed with their mouth. They have owned up to their sin and their shortcomings. Uh, they have renounced other gods and idols. They have renounced them. And then the Lord speaks this beautiful truth to them. Verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. So apostasy is, is renouncing your former faith. It's acting against what you said you once believed. Okay, So uh, apostasy for Israel is like uh, Gomer cheating on her husband. And God says, I'll heal it. Uh, so it's not just intellectual. It's not I'm going to correct the way you think. You're broken and you're wounded by your reaching out to other lovers. They have hurt you. They have left scars on your soul. I will heal you. I'll heal the apostasy. I will love them freely. You know, um, there, maybe some of your Bibles say this. I don't know. The ESV says freely. Um, I think I will love you spontaneously. Uh, or I will love you with spontaneity. I, you will be surprised. You will be amazed how my love comes out to you. It will shock you. That's what God says He will do. Verse 5, I'll be the dew to you like Israel, and I will turn my anger away from you. Every morning I will provide grace. That's what God says I'm going to do. And then in verse 5, here's what's going to happen to you then. You'll blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Go through these things really quick. He'll take root, stability. You'll be stable. You won't be tossed back and forth by all these different philosophies and loves and looking for the next great thing to make you happy. You'll have, you'll have stability. Secondly, he says, you spread out the branches. You will, you will propagate. You'll have multiple inhabitants. There will be growth from your return to me. The splendor of the olive. Beauty, glory, uh, consistent, constant, lasting. And the fragrance will be great. Fragrance will represent loveliness. You know what also will come? Laughter. He will turn their sorrow into singing. He will turn their crying into laughter. You ever wonder why? Because God says in verse 8, what do I have to do with idols? It's I who answers and looks after you. It is I. I am like an evergreen. And from me comes your fruit. All this will happen because of who I am. What do I have to do with them? Nothing at all. I am God. I am your spouse. I'll have nothing to do with them, and neither will you, because I can and I will answer you. Especially in the context when you return to me, I can and I will look after you, because I'm an evergreen. I will never go out of season. I am the true tree of life. And your fruit, whatever you need to live,
will come from me. He ends with this, what I call the word to the wise, an epilogue in verse 9, kind of the epilogue to the whole book. It's the prophet. It's kind of like the last saying. He says, consider all of these things. That's so you know the, the, the Christian faith is an intellectual faith, and it is an intimate and a relational faith. And so he says, wisdom is this. If you are wise, understand these things. Take note. Look at the world with a discerning mind. Whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. What do we do when a church, our church, our self, has been seduced by the world? We confess. We confess our affairs. We confess the things that we have sought after, the things that we have loved. We confess the thing that gets first place in our minds and in our hearts, in our checkbooks, in our schedules. We ask our Lord, Lord, show me where I have been faithless to you and where other lovers have come in. We confess the things that we have thought he would not give or provide. We return, we confess, we make promises, and we believe in the grace of God. We believe and we trust that he has paid for your infidelity with the blood of his only son. And so I said when I started, there may not be an Old Testament book that prepares us more for the work of Christ. If you can read through Hosea, and if you can come away from Hosea and think, surely God is done with me because I've rebelled against him. Surely there is no way he will forgive my iniquity and my sin. Um, You don't get it. He has shown us in a very real and understandable way church you are like Gomer to me I have loved you and I have betrothed myself to you and church you run after other lovers you follow the way of the world around you and you seek your pleasures and you seek your meaning elsewhere and yet church I will have mercy on you church return to me and there will be laughter and there will be joy, and there will be beauty. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this season. Thank you, Father, for Christ. For if we can't see your love in Hosea, we can certainly see it in Christ. When we look at the cross and we realize this is what was necessary to have our infidelities cleansed. This is what was necessary have us washed and not face the wrath. This is what you did, O God, because you've loved us, because our wandering breaks your heart and you long to draw us close to your side. O Father, may we have joy like none before when we consider what Christ has done on our behalf. And Father, we also ask those of us wandering in the darkness, For those of us compromising with sin and idolatry, do what you will. You wrestle our hands and our hearts away from the false lovers. Oh, Spirit, 
heal our apostasy. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.